HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. Happy New Year. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we are broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's at 261 War Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Brunch is being served for those of you who are local. Um, So uh, it being a new year and thus a brand new season for me, um, I thought I would spend this 30 minutes or maybe something less um, talking about what I intend to cover over the next uh, few weeks and months. Um, You know, after doing this program solo for about a year now, I realized that uh, there are sort of certain themes that emerge for me and uh, and I'm going to really spend a lot of time drilling down on them. And I, I sometimes think of my radio show as kind of a doom and gloom half hour um, because there are so many crappy things going on, but there are good things going on, like, for instance, some of the new FDA rules that just got passed finally uh, in the wake of the Food Safety Modernization Act, which was signed almost two years ago, as you may remember. But now that Obama has been reelected, um, he can move forward on that. And so uh, that is happening. So there will be um, new rules, which basically put more responsibility on farmers to use cleaner uh, water and keeping their employees clean so that we don't have things like the Jensen Farms, E. coli, outbreak of um, summer before last, which some of you may remember. So we'll be talking more about food safety. um, And uh, some of the guests that I've had on to talk about that with me have been Amanda Hitt from the Government Accountability Project. Amanda's going to be coming back in a few weeks. Um, This uh, this particular week, there was a really interesting new development in the whole fracking controversy uh, around upstate New York and the Catskills. Um, I had hoped to have uh, Wes Gillingham on from the Catskill Mountain Keeper, but unfortunately he couldn't be found. Um, But nevertheless, um, he brought my attention to a few very cool 
cool new things, or I should say very alarming new things uh, that are happening within that fracking debate. And we do seem to be moving a lot closer um, to allowing fracking in New York State. And that's something we don't want, um, in case you were wondering. Um, Whether it brings jobs or not to uh, underserved regions um, is sort of beside the point, given that the lifetime, the lifespan of any natural gas well is uh, not particularly long. So there you have built all of this infrastructure and hired all these people and brought them in. And um, five years later, the boom is over and the town dies. So it's not a sustainable way of um, maintaining economic viability in a region that is typically and chronically um, underemployed. Uh, So that's one thing. Uh, NOAA, the National Oceanic Atmospheric uh, Administration, came out uh, just recently, I think it was last week, you might have seen the article in the Times that referenced this, um, with a new study that confirms that fracking itself releases 9% methane, um, and that sort of, shall we say, vitiates the uh, carbon um, equation in the sense that if you're releasing that much greenhouse gas into the atmosphere, you might as well freaking burn coal because it basically boils down to the same thing. So the whole argument for... um, you know, mining for natural gas using hydraulic fracturing um, has, you know, basically gone out the window. But you can, as you can imagine, energy companies are um, rushing to cover their tracks and say, no, 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 that's just one study. But actually, it's a second study confirming the results of an original study, which took place several years ago. The other thing that came up um, in this week's Times article was um, a reference to the, um, the fact that though a health assessment or a health Uh, impact assessment, I think is what you call it, HIA, health impact assessment, um, still has not been made public. Uh, We still don't know what kind of impact fracking has on health of humans and health of the environment. But that is something we're going to be taking up next week, actually, um, with uh, a reporter named Elizabeth Reut, uh, who is from the Food and Environmental Reporting Network. Um, Some of you may remember that we interviewed the editor-in-chief, Sam Fromartz, a few months back when they first launched. Um, She wrote an article about a family in North Dakota, where all of the cows on this woman's dairy farm um, began to get sick and die, and they were very close to a fracking field. And it could only be surmised that the chemical, which is actually the chemicals, there are over 126 different chemical compounds used in hydraulic fracturing fluid, um, that some of that blowback from the fluid either in the groundwater or just uh, on top of, you know, of the of the topsoil um, was having an impact on her cattle's health, and things were happening to her cattle, like um, dropping you know fifty or sixty pounds within a week. Uh, their tails fell off; they died. Um, there have been reports of uh, spontaneous abortions and infertility. Um, so it's clearly not a compatible. Uh, industry with the industry of livestock of any kind of agriculture, really, because, of course, at the end of a whole fracking process, you are left with essentially a moonscape. Uh, Nothing can grow. And uh, very likely the groundwater is contaminated. One of the things that we'll be talking about with Elizabeth and which I had hoped to cover with Wes was have any has any progress been made on um, how they contain the spent hydrofracking fluid, which, as I said, is contaminated with over 126 different proprietary chemicals, um, including many toxins that we know about and probably some that we don't. Um, so that's that's an issue that we all should be uh, in touch with. There's a lot going on this month in terms of Albany making decisions about this, about um, regulations for fracking and about the health impact of fracking. And uh, if you go to the 
Catskill Mountain Keeper website. They will give you a list of all of the events that will take place in the coming weeks and months um, that allow you to make your voice heard in terms of whether or not you want to permit fracking in New York State. And I I strongly urge you to um, take advantage of that opportunity, whether it's online or in person in Albany. Um, Everybody should let their voice be heard about this very, very dangerous and short-sighted policy on the part of the energy industry and our state government. Um, Let me see, where are we in terms of time? Oh my God, only seven minutes have gone by. Oh God. (laughs) Oh, thank you, darling. Um, So other things that are beginning coming up is, um, as you know, uh, I've been very, very keen about genetically modified organisms. Um, I've done a lot of reading about them. I haven't done so many programs about them, Um, but I'm definitely going to be picking up on that um, and doing a lot more research on it. Um, another thing that I did, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but about a year ago, I interviewed a scientist from the National Resources Defense Council and uh, the director of an organization called As You Sow, which tries to foster corporate responsibility in the marketplace. Um, and uh, we talked about uh, this emerging technology called nanotechnology, and nano is like the nanoscale, as in think nanosecond. And um, these are very, very tiny, tiny particles, which are already widely used in cosmetics and in packaging, and um, are being increasingly used in our food chain. <clears throat> and... By and large, the FDA has absolutely no regulations on the books uh, governing the use of nanotechnology. And we're talking about compounds besides silver and gold, um, which are often used as um, antimicrobials in packaging. But we're also talking about titanium dioxide. And um, nano-titanium dioxide, for example, is widely used in things like chiclets. Um <laughs> Being a great lover of the chiclet myself, uh, I was quite dismayed. I I imagine I've ingested quite a few pounds of nano-titanium dioxide, but I I think it it probably accounts for my encroaching senility. Um, But anyway, we're going to be having another chat about nanotech with an author named Heather Miller. Um, She has uh, published recently a very interesting article about nanotech and about certain uh, new studies that are being conducted at Duke University regarding the use of nanotech. They put together these sort of... um, mesocosms, they call them, like 30 boxes of sort of uh, environmentally um, mimicking uh, the outdoors, the great outdoors, and, and looking to see how uh, nano or, um, nanoparticles uh, worked their way through the soil, through the water, and through an ecosystem in a sort of small scale. And the results were not uh, particularly encouraging, in fact, quite dismaying. But of course, as I say, once again, the FDA, which we pay for with our tax dollars, is not actually really on top of the situation. And nanotechnology is currently known as GRAS, G-R-A-S, an acronym for generally regarded as safe, which is what the FDA labels products when they don't have the time, the energy, or the funding to actually test a product. And they basically cave into industry and say, sure, go ahead, use it. Nobody's gotten sick yet. 
So, um, but it is very widely used. This technology is very, very widely used in cosmetics, especially ladies, lotions, um, sunscreens. Uh, if you're putting them on your kids, something to think about. Some of these products can and will cross the blood-brain barrier, and that means that um, you know you could uh, wind up with a with a head full of silver, for instance, or titanium dioxide. In my case, um, so that's something that we're going to be um, expanding on in the future. Um, we will also be talking. Again, about antibiotics in the food chain. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that this is not boring to people. I should say that word. I should never utter the word boring and my program in the same breath. But the fact is, is maybe some people don't geek out over this stuff the way I do. But I freaking geek out. And I am freaked out about antibiotics in the food chain. So again, from the Food and Environmental Reporting Network comes an author, Mara McKenna, who is going to be talking about antibiotics and these intractable urinary tract infections that many women are suffering from, which seem to be pointing towards chicken and the consumption of chicken. And chicken, as you know, is a tremendous source of various kinds of salmonella, and there are eight new kinds of salmonella out uh, that are all resistant to antibiotics, and that is um, one of the unfortunate consequences of the way that we manage our food system now, which is to um, basically flood our animals with massive amounts of antibiotics in order to keep them well with the um, corollary impact of having antibiotics no longer be useful to our own uh, human health and and even the health of the animals. Um, so that's something that really must and needs to be uh, addressed by the consumer population because the FDA is not going to do anything about it. And you can bet the pharmaceutical industry is not going to say a word because they're laughing all the way to the bank on this. So it's really up to consumers to make this change. And I'm going to tell you something that was very disturbing to me. I broke my arm a few days ago. And I, as I went into my orthopedist to get a cast put on it, I said to him, Doc, I know you don't use a lot of antibiotics in your practice, except maybe like post-surgically or something. Um, but I, I wondered if you were aware of the impact of antibiotic use on uh, human health. He says, uh, no, what do you mean? He didn't know. He actually didn't know. And then I told him that 80% of the antibiotics produced in this country uh, are fed to our livestock population. Again, had no idea. And I said, so this means that the drugs that you're prescribing to keep your patients well or fr infection free are no longer to be useful. He said, yeah, so... I said, yes, yeah, so, so you should be testifying in front of Congress. The American Medical Association should be screaming bloody murder about this. I mean, this stuff is taking away the tools that you use to keep your patients healthy. He said, well, you could call me a nihilist, but I honestly don't think it makes a damn bit of difference what I say. And the conversation kind of went on in that vein, and I was just blown away by that. And, and he said, well, it's really up to consumers. If they don't want to eat uh, antibiotic-treated meat, then they have to buy organic. And I thought, well... Yeah, but not everybody can do that. And, uh, you know, basically the system needs to be changed and it, we need the Medical Association, the American Medical Association and, and the Journal of American Medicine and all the rest of these guys to come out and say this has to stop. And maybe Congress will get the message then. But as he said, probably not. Just saying. This really is like the public health disaster of the century, and people should definitely wake up and definitely demand that their grocery stores stop buying meat that has been brought up on an antibiotic diet. And by the way, one other thing you should know about this, let me just geek out a little more. They withdraw antibiotics from most livestock, um, usually uh, depends six to 10 weeks before the animal is slaughtered so that there's no antibiotic residue in their bodies. So it's not actually 
eating this meat that's going to give you the antibiotic resistance problem. It is the corollary effects of the antibiotics in their uh, waste, which goes into runoff that is used to fertilize fields, which then uh, brings these antibiotic-resistant pathogens up into the roots of plants, um, which you then do ingest. And it also means that uh, these bugs continue to evolve and become antibiotic resistant. So even if you're not getting it from eating a chicken or a piece of beef, what you are getting is bugs that are evolving past the grasp of the antibiotic portfolio that we currently use to treat uh, illnesses in this country and around the world. And that is where the danger lies. So um, that's another big issue we'll be covering. Coming back to that again and again, uh, we'll have Gene Halloran back on from Consumers uh, Union. Um, I have, I hope, a very special guest in the future who is uh, going to be speaking for the culinary community on this issue. And that should be a really exciting and fun interview as well. Um, I'm also going to be talking about antibiotics in seafood. Um, A lot of our seafood is farmed. We import an enormous amount of seafood, which is just crazy. We have gorgeous fish in this country. um, And for some reason, that's going out of our country. And what is coming in is very cheap shrimp and cheap salmon from um, questionable uh, agricultural, uh, fish aquaculture entities in Thailand and South America and so forth, where the uh, use of antibiotics is very high and where the animals are not kept in clean, uh, safe waters. And there is no reason not to buy local fish, um, just none whatsoever. And by doing so, you also support a community and a way of life in this country that is, you know, centuries old and worth preserving. And the fishing industry has gotten a lot better about regulating itself. They have wonderful uh, new catch share program, which um, makes it a lot easier for for fishermen to manage their own fisheries and for them to not glut the market with a certain type of fish and depress the price or overfish a certain type of fish to the point of extinction, which is what was happening. So um, there's a lot of reasons to support the fishing industry on the East and West Coast, especially on the East Coast, where um, we have so many wonderful um, fishing coastal towns that really need and deserve to have us buy things that we don't normally buy, like sea robin or, I don't know, uh, skate. I mean, personally, I hate fish, so I'm not going to be the one who makes this happen. (laughs) But I have a lot of friends in the community. Um, And actually, another thing that's really picked up in um, this country is the aquaculture of bivalves. And by that, I mean clams, mussels, oysters, and especially oysters. And I've become quite an expert on oyster farming due to the fact that I was about to write an article for Food Arts about oyster and shellfish farming in the United States, except for the fact that I broke my pesky wrist and can't type now. So, But I did a lot of interviews, and I learned a lot about the industry. And that is one place where fish farming is really a very desirable um, industry to support. Because, as you probably know, these are um, basically little vacuum cleaners. And they suck up all the bad stuff and um, somehow process it and clean the water so that waters that were polluted uh, in various ways have become much cleaner as a result. And in some cases, like in New York State Harbor, they have... um you know, planted a lot of clams and oysters just to clean the water, not for necessarily for human consumption, but literally as a kind of organic um, cleaning program, which I think is really fantastic. There's a lot of those programs around. There's one in um, in New Jersey as well that's doing um, clams in a big way. So <clears throat> anyway, so those are the things that are on my mind. Um, how am I doing here? 
Have I blabbed away enough? Oh my God, 20 minutes have elapsed and I'm still going strong. Joe, let's take like a 10 second break or like a, a sponsor drop break and then I'll come back and wrap up. Thanks for listening, folks. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. Pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. Free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef. The authentic flavor of the American West. And we are back. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And uh, we're just doing a little wrap up about what we're going to be covering this coming season. Um, So like I said, it is doom and gloom. I like to think of it as a doom and gloom radio half hour. Um, So in case you weren't having your buzz killed. Earlier in the week, I can make sure that it happens for you on Sundays. Um, I hope you're having a Bloody Mary just to keep you fortified. Um, so I'm about to wrap up, but I just want to say that I have in the studio with me two very dear friends, um, Kate Morgan and Rhoda Morgan, her mommy. And Kate and I worked together long ago, and she is um, an expert on wines. And um, Kate, before we wrap up, you want to tell us a little bit about viniculture and, um, and what you'll, you'll be doing like, what's some good wines? Give us some good New York State wines so we can support our locals. Well, um, Talk into the microphone, honey. Hello. Actually, New York State is uh, the third biggest wine-producing region uh, or state in the country, which a lot of people don't know. <clears throat> separate into three separate areas, the Hudson Valley, the Finger Lakes, and Long Island. It is two hours from Manhattan, so if you guys want to go out and try some good wines, uh, try some good Cabernet Francs, that's what I would suggest. Absolutely. That sounds great. And also keep in mind, like as we talk about the issue of fracking, for example, I mean, fracking is being held up and I've been covering this, you guys, for three and a half years, right? This was one of the first programs I ever did was with this guy, actually with the Catskill Mountain Keeper uh, organization three and a half years ago. And I had the director and I had a representative from the oil and gas industry from the state of New York on at the same time, which was a little hard for me to manage. Um, The guy from the oil and gas industry was predictably slick and had his talking points down in a big, bad way. And one of the things that he said, um, which I think is the argument that is presented even in that in the new movie that just came out with Matt Damon, the the um, Promised Land film, which I have not seen yet, but maybe I'll go see this afternoon, um, is they say, well, you know, these co- these uh, communities are dying because agriculture is dying, and and you know they need this shot in the arm economically, and you're going to bring jobs and prosperity and blah blah blah. It's not true. It won't happen. It will be a momentary shot in the arm. It will be a momentary boom. But I was reading today a really interesting article um, about people who trade in futures and people who trade on the market in gas, natural gas and oil. And basically what they're going to see is the same kind of bubble that we saw with the housing market, with the dot-com, all of that stuff that gets grossly inflated. Because what they're not seeing, what is not being reflected in the price of those shares and in the price of gas and oil, is the economic, the environmental impact and the global warming impact that it's going to have. And so eventually those products are going to become prohibitively expensive and the value of those shares is going to drop enormously. And that's going to happen within the next five to ten years as climate change becomes increasingly apparent. And people, I hope, turn away more and more from uh, fossil fuels, which is much to be desired. So, um, 
So when they when we talk when Kate talks about fabulous wines in upstate New York and on Long Island and so forth, I mean that's one of the ways in which we can preserve our communities is to invest in our local viniculture, which is a tried, true, and proven source of income for the state. Um, there are fantastic farms. There's fantastic cheeses. There's all kinds of local products that can be purchased in this or in the tri-state area, all of which will help prevent um, the economic interests of the oil and gas industries from you know, from convincing people that they have uh, they have something to gain by allowing their land to be destroyed uh, through fracking. So um, with that happy note, I'm going to say goodbye. And next week, um, do tune in. We will be talking with Elizabeth Reuty from the Fern Reporting Network, Food and Environmental Reporting Network. I strongly urge you to check out that website. Um, a lot of the stories that they write are then picked up by mainstream news. In fact, this particular show, this particular article was picked up by uh, ABC News out in the Midwest. Um, and we'll be talking about the impact of... Uh, of fracking on livestock and uh, well I guess that's all I've got to say I can't believe it (laughs) thanks for tuning in and uh, looking forward to a fabulous new year and I wish you all the best for yours thanks Joe and we'll see you next week with Elizabeth Royte so long for now thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.